0: Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Uh, And thank you for the traditions that we have of certain songs about Easter. Many of you know how ill Jim was six months ago, Uh, wound up in the ER with COVID and um, things were getting difficult and Jim let our men's group know that one evening when he was not doing well, I mean, just thinking about the fullness of your voice up here, it's all there, I think you're better. (laughs) Don't you think? Jim was in a bad way. I think he lost 20 or 30 pounds. He found it. (laughs) (laughs) Amen for new life. (laughs) Oh my. He told our men's group about one evening in the ER when things were about at their worst. And the nurses, they don't let you sleep (laughs) in the ER. Um, But, well, the first thing he said was, when he woke up one morning, he said, nurse, I can't, I can't wear this diaper anymore. And she said, how come? He says, well, I keep waking up sucking my thumb. <laughs> That's Jim. But one evening, when things were really bad, a nurse came in the room, as they often did, and checked vitals and everything, and Jim said that her eyes got really big. And he said, what's wrong? And she said to him, There are angels everywhere in this room. And I said, Jim, did you get the nurse's name? He said, no. And did you ever see her again in there? He said, no. And I don't understand the Lord's will, why some people get well and some people don't. But I'm reminded of the longer hope that we have of eternal life hearing things like that, we, your life is a testimony to us and a good news that we need in the darkness of what we've all been walking through in the last couple of years. Once in a while, Jim brings his guitar to our men's group and um, sings for us, but I'll never forget that testimony and that story and how grateful we are for your life and for your ministry. Do you know why that's possible? It's because Christ is risen. I wanna invite you to turn with the Bible as we continue reading from Luke chapter 24 to Luke 24. And I'm gonna pick up the very end of this important chapter for us. If I could summarize the entire Easter message in one word, It's somebody's melodic ringtone. That's not what it is. (laughs) If I could summarize all of Easter with one word, and I'm sure you could pick more than one, but for me, the one word is change. Easter absolutely changes everything. Think about it for Jesus. Jesus, the last they've seen him, the last they know about him, he is dead after being crucified on Good Friday on a cross, after being accused and beaten and humiliated. Jesus who has done no wrong has willingly sacrificed his life for us. But now it's not up to an earthly court or the religious people of his day, the the Romans or anybody else. A higher court speaks when Jesus is risen from the dead. He's vindicated. For Jesus, Easter and this resurrection changes everything. It's the reason that we're still talking about him. For his disciples, it certainly changed everything. What you see at the very beginning of this chapter is their downcast spirit, their confusion, their hurt, they're wondering what's happened. They don't even recognize Jesus as he walks right there beside them. They don't expect necessarily to see a risen Savior. I think that's evidenced by the women bringing spices to embalm a dead body. On the other hand, what, what a beautiful, pure gift those women gave to Jesus and had intended to give. They, they went there not expecting to receive anything. After all, what can a dead body give them? They came to honor him. They came to... Love him. Give him a respect. But they couldn't find him. And Jesus ruined all their plans. And they hurry back to the disciples to tell them this news that they've heard, that Jesus is alive. The disciples are bewildered, and and they run to the tomb. I, I love the picture of grown men running. It's a non-dignified thing to do the older you get, trust me. <laughs> well, not for everybody. Some of you are gracious runners. I appreciate that, and uh, I, I really do. But in that culture, actually, for men over the age of 30, that that was not a distinguished thing to do. But they ran because they were excited. And John, as he writes it, even mentions that he outran Peter. It's almost like a contest. <laughs> It's because they were excited. For the disciples, this changes everything. Imagine how they felt at the crucifixion. They feared for their lives. They were behind locked doors thinking that they might be next. But afterwards, after the resurrection, they become bold in their witness, don't they? They are instructed to return to Jerusalem, which we'll read. And they do that and they become Jesus' witnesses throughout the whole world. Everything changes for Jesus' followers because of Easter and... Easter changes everything for us, wouldn't you say? We will one day face that enemy, the grave, but Christ has already conquered it. And his victory becomes our victory. Change. Let me just ask you as we think about this passage, is there a change that you need in your life? Is there a change that you'd like to see in this world right now? Is there a change that you'd like to see in your own world? Is there some way in which you'd like change to happen in the person next to you maybe? Don't look. (laughs) And do you believe that that change is possible through Christ? Would you stand with me as you're able? And I wanna read from Luke 24. So, the ones who finally recognized Jesus and ran and told the 11 who were still hiding. While they were still talking about this incredible thing that they had reported to them, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightening, frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence, which dead people don't do. He's showing them. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Christ is risen. Please be seated. Christmas was just the promise. Easter is the proof. God has invaded our planet. He's done so in such a way that we might draw near to him he became flesh and he rose again from the dead that you and i may have hope not just empathy but actual hope for our future as you think about a change that you are desperate to see in your life i hope that you have at least one thing that life isn't so perfect that you can't think of one thing (laughs) <laughs> where you need to change. As you think about change and change from the inside out, I want to ask a couple of questions. One, uh-oh, <laughs> am I plugged in? <laughs> Maybe not. If I, I, I'll, I'll warn you, though, if I do this without notes, it gets longer. <laughs> One more, Bob. There he is. So is this, this really isn't working, is it? Bummer. Uh, I'm gonna ask two questions. What causes us to change? And are we willing to change? I think these are important questions. The first one's probably more important than the first. The second one's probably much more important than the first one. It's kind of the cut to the chase. Are we willing to receive the change that Jesus wants to give us? But what causes us to change? The disciples are prime candidates for change at this moment. (laughs) This is such a bummer. (laughs) Thank you. Could I get two AAA batteries and I'll talk about the power that is needed uh, for technology and fun things like that. Thank you very much. And then I'll fall over this, you know, thing here and we'll just keep going. I feel so lost without a clicker, how's that? Even possible, it just doesn't seem right to have control of what's gonna flash up on the screen. They could have fun back there and give you the whole sermon in two minutes. And nobody would complain. And you'd say, that'd be a good change. We're talking about change, maybe we should do that. I want you to think about the circumstance of the disciples, as I mentioned earlier, they're discouraged. They've literally invested their whole lives in this call of Jesus to come and follow me. They're, they're ones that uh, not only applauded Jesus along the way and formed the crowds. Thank you very much. They are the disciples, the ones who seriously followed him. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Can you unplug that thing right there and just plug it in again and see? Maybe, you know, it just doesn't like me today and that's okay. So while they were talking about this, notice that they are Dumbfounded, they have no idea what's going on. They were startled, they were frightened, they, saw, they thought they'd seen a ghost, I mean, wouldn't you? This guy's dead, we, we know this, but there he is. All throughout chapter 24, there are disciples in confusion. They're downcast, they're wondering, what's in their future now that all of their dreams have died? They're looking at the future with a sense of desperation, if you will, But I want to say that actually makes us a candidate for change when we're hurting so much that we simply have to change. Have you been there in life? When things are just so painful. You know, it's funny as people, we resist change, even good changes. We just kind of want life to level out and stay the same. There's something weird about us as people. We're all weird if you didn't know that. the Person next to you is strange, I'm strange we we just crave things we shouldn't crave and it's not until the consequences grow on us that that we really eagerly honestly desire change well they were still talking about jesus he stood among them and said to them peace be with you they were startled and frightened thinking they'd seen a ghost and he said to them why are you troubled we will change when we hurt so much that we have to change along <laughs> along the way (laughs) please pray for me (laughs) oh it works (laughs) here is that's a change (laughs) here's the hope of Easter Easter changes our outlook the discovery that Jesus Christ is alive completely transforms these disciples If you're familiar with the gospels and you've read about the lives of these 11, used to be 12, Judas betrayed him as we know. If you read about their lives, they don't get it. They're constantly asking Jesus the same questions. They're asking things like, well, which one of us is gonna be the greatest? And and even to the point of the garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and tries to defend Jesus. And he said, you guys, you just don't get it. I came to die. It's, it's a message that, that they refuse to accept. And can we blame them? That hardly seems like a good strategy for changing the world. They don't understand. It's not until this happens in Luke chapter 24, it's not until they recognize that Jesus is in fact alive that everything else happens. If you have a Bible open, did you notice that Luke 24 and the gospels themselves they're not the end of the scripture, they're the beginning of the story. Jesus' death doesn't define him. His resurrection sets him apart, his resurrection defines him. It's just the beginning point. Do You need a new outlook on life. Jesus Christ is alive and he can help you. Second reason I think they're candidates for change will change when we learn so much that we want to change. I love the sections in here that talk about Jesus revealing to them everything that was said in the Old Testament, beginning with Moses the law and Moses. He begins to explain to them why all these things must happen. He then shows up in what we just read to the disciples and he says, don't you guys understand? Everything that was written in the law and the prophets, it's all about the fact that I'm coming to be your sacrifice. All of those things had to happen, and that I would rise again. Sometimes we need some information that we just don't have. What I read earlier in the service about the road to Emmaus of the disciples who were walking along, and, and the scripture says, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Have you ever had that kind of a moment of discovery? Of figuring out that, oh yeah, Everything I learned about Jesus Christ is true. Easter changes our awareness. I mean, what is it that we're aware of? Well, we're aware that Jesus is alive. Think about how revolutionary that news is. Every other account of every human being who ever lived is the account of someone who once lived, and then died. Let's take Sudhartha Gautama, better known as Buddha. According to the Random House Encyclopedia, he was born 563 BC and he died 483 BC. Did you know that? How about Confucius? Says he was an excellent Chinese scholar, an athlete and musician, born 551 BC, 500 years before Christ, died 479 BC. That's the end of his entry. Muhammad, the Arab founder of Islam from the city of Mecca, born 570 AD, died 632 AD. But what about Jesus? Born, I'm gonna say zero AD. Did you know he was born in three BC? There's a dating error a couple hundred years later. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was born three years before he was born. But that just shows you the fallibility of... (laughs) Human record-keeping. He was born approximately zero. He died 33 AD, but that's not the end of his entry. It says that he was resurrected from the dead and appeared on numerous occasions to his disciples, including one resurrection appearance to over 500 people at the same time. That's recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Did you know that there's more historical reference to Christ's resurrection than there is? There's more historical information about it than there is proof that Julius Caesar ever lived. It's an historical fact that Jesus isn't the account of someone who once lived and then died. Jesus is the account of someone who once died and now lives. Who else can say that? (laughs) I read an interesting story uh, about Buddha's bones. Some bones from one of Buddha's fingers, allegedly, were sent as a gift to the emperor of China during the Tang Dynasty. They were later forgotten about and then found in 1981. Isn't that interesting how we can find things that are thousands of years old in 1981? If you go to the Holy Lands, you'll find some things like that that they, you know, different story. The finding was a sensation to Buddhists everywhere and the bones are now visited by many Buddhists at the Famen Buddhist temple in China. Have you ever noticed that no one ever claimed to find the finger of Jesus? There are no bones to find. The Roman authorities who had him crucified, the religious leaders who had him crucified because they were, they were so threatened by who Jesus claimed to be, they knew that he, he said he was going to rise again. If there was any way that they could prove that he was still dead, they would have they would have dragged his body around to say look it's not true what these disciples are saying and spreading throughout the world is not true here's his body right here and they couldn't do that i mean talk about a whole world-changing bit of information somebody else told me something really cool at the easter extravaganza yesterday they said did you know that christianity is the only religion that teaches that God loves you? (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Religion has taught us for millennia and millennia to be good and to fear God or else. But we know God as revealed as a sacrifice for us, someone who loved us And all of his claims were backed up by the fact that he's risen from the dead. Stories told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. His friends asked, why'd you become a Christian? And he answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you were to go down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. There at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Which way would you go? I think that's really a pretty good answer. No other religion ever claimed that their leader died and rose again from the dead, never to die again. Think about that, it's remarkable. We change when we learn something. I remember for me, not having grown up in the church, My family would sometimes go to Christmas services, the promise part. We'd sometimes go to the Easter services. Mostly my mom wanted to go and I always wanted to go. Nobody else wanted to go to church. The proof part, Easter services. And I remember distinctly when I suddenly realized that Easter and Christmas, were talking about the same person. I know it's, you know, what are you doing up here preaching? That's really brilliant, Ken. We're glad you know that. It's a good insight. Glad you shared that on this Easter Sunday. We were confused, but I didn't even get it. And I can identify with these disciples who suddenly get it. And the course of the whole rest of their life, their their entire outlook, their entire awareness on life is completely transformed and completely changed by an experience with Jesus Christ. And for me, and I know this sounds a little mystical for me, I recall specifically this awareness that God was speaking to me. Now, we can reject that or we can pursue that. And not every leading that I've ever had proved to be God's will. (laughs) But this one was, I have zero regrets about committing my whole life to Jesus in response to the fact that I knew he was speaking to my heart. You notice that reference in here on the road to Emmaus, Were not our hearts burning within us. When God speaks to us, we know it. I actually came to know Christ. I, the first time I really remember this invitation being given of do you want to follow Jesus and forgiveness of your sins? It was at a Christian comedian's concert in Medford, Oregon. I was in high school. Explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> I walked up there and the guy had snakeskin boots. (laughs) I'll never forget it. He made some jokes about his boots. But I stood at his boots because I knew that I needed what he was talking about. I knew that I needed to make a decision. I had a new awareness. There was, well, there's the third point. Oh, there it is. You got it. I, I had a new awareness that I needed to do something about the fact of the resurrection. We'll change when we learn something, when when our mind is engaged. We'll change certainly when we're hurting. We'll also change when we receive so much that we are simply able to change. I love this simple statement. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And then he said, go to Jerusalem, wait for what I'll give you. You know what that is, right? That's God's spirit, Holy Spirit. He gives them what they need to do what they need to do. Because I think it's one thing to wanna change, to feel like my life is hurting so much, I need it. Maybe I've heard this message, maybe I know that Jesus is for me, that he died for me. Maybe I'm aware of those things, but do I have the power to do it? Have you ever tried to change one of your own habits and you just can't do it? We're really good at pointing out other people's habits that they need to change, but controlling our own selves, it's not easy, is it? We need to receive something from a God who is alive before we have a real hope of change. This is the good news of Easter, that it changes our direction, it changes our behavior, it changes our daily life. And the disciples are the first evidence of that. The ones who betrayed Jesus in the last week of his life, Peter denied him three times. They were too afraid to be at the foot of the cross, so they hid in the upper room, except for John, of course. And and these disciples, who were so fearful, became ones who all died for their faith, except John. So 10 out of the 11 in this room that I just read about died for their faith. that's incredible to me in terms of the evidence of the resurrection because they claimed that Jesus appeared to them in bodily form. Let's make no mistake about it. He ate fish. He was in bodily form in front of them. They claimed that this happened. They would know if it's Jesus or not, right? They've been falling around for three years. They're the ones stirring up all this trouble. They're hiding for their lives and Jesus appears to them. Now picture it. What happens after the ascension and he disappears from them? What are they going to do? Well, for them, they're so convinced of the reality of Christ's resurrection and what they experienced and what happened that they will go out and share it with the rest of the world. That's why we heard about it. I mean, their direction was changed. Their whole lives were changed. And I think about that as the proof of the resurrection. Would you die for something that you knew to be a lie? Would you? I mean, think about that. At some point when they were threatened with their lives. Peter had said was crucified and he refused to be crucified right side up because that would be dishonoring to Jesus. So they had him crucify him upside down. At some point, if you're Peter and you made up the story about the resurrection, at some point before giving your life for it, wouldn't you fess up, say it wasn't true? What else explains? their willingness to surrender their lives to death. Nothing can change us like the presence of Jesus responding to him, receiving him. Could you use a change? I mean, wouldn't all of us like to kick a few vices and (laughs) live our lives with the kind of description scripture gives us of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I mean, do do those things mark your life on a daily basis? Do you need those things? Do you want those things? The more important important question, of course, is are you willing to change? God invites us into relationship, but does not force us to accept him. He gives us the opportunity. He reveals himself to us, I believe, at least that's my experience. I've heard a lot of other people talk about it as well, I know because I know because I know we know by faith we weren't there in the upper room we we, we take it by faith have you ever experienced God's voice speaking to your heart are you convinced of the truth well what are you gonna do about it are you willing to change and I want to offer it this way I think it really comes down to this Easter change, the change, I think, that we all want, right? We don't want the grave to be the end. (laughs) We, We don't want to be the grave to define our lives. We want to live for something better. Easter change comes when we move from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. Again, I mentioned this last week. This is Kyle Eidelman's language. I love it. Not a fan is what his book's called. It's a wonderful book. You should read it. It'll talk all about what I'm saying here. But Easter change comes when I move from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. And what I mean is becoming a disciple. And and I wanna ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you accepted the invitation that that he always gives? Which isn't this, would you please admire me? Jesus doesn't say that, he says, would you follow me? Have you become his disciple? A disciple is someone who does whatever it takes to follow Jesus, whatever it takes. That's the witness of the first Easter. That's the witness of these people who courageously gave everything for the truth. Difference between a fan and a follower. A fan or an admirer hears the message, but a follower obeys the message, right? Remember Jesus talking about the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. What he said was, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice because he was speaking to a whole big crowd who was hearing these words, but only a few put them into practice. What do you mean love my enemy? What do you mean forgive? What do you mean take up my cross daily? There were many fans of Jesus in his day. I mentioned this last Sunday of Palm Sunday, they celebrated him as he triumphantly entered Jerusalem, but there were few who would lay down their life in following him. An admirer is impressed. Again, Jesus didn't ask, are you impressed with me? He said, no, he doesn't care. He says, look, will you follow me? That's what really matters. Not just will you celebrate me in the parade in public, in the crowds, and Jesus drew lots of crowds, but he never came to draw crowds. He came to make disciples, committed followers of his. A follower is different, a follower is devoted. Do you love this language of sacrifice? Did you know I talk about this at Easter? <laughs> I'm saying it because I want you to experience the life change that is available to us in Christ if we're willing to accept this invitation, not just to be impressed, but to be a follower, to surrender. An admirer applauds, a follower surrenders. The truth is, let me ask you if you believe this, you and I were designed to live in submission to God. I just want you to sit with that for a second because that's such an opposite message of our culture. I'm me, I'm gonna do it my way, I'm gonna make my own rules, right? That's more what we're used to. You're an individual, you do it your way, you be you, I'll be me. But Jesus makes a demand on us, come and follow me and take up your cross daily. The one who wants to save his own life and live by their own standards will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it Jesus is so contrary. <laughs> it's not easy. Oh, sure, we want change. We're hurting and we're doubting and, and, and we need him and, and we, we see evidence of the resurrection, but do we accept it as something personal in our own lives? I'll say it one more time. We're designed to live in submission to God. Do you believe it? You know, God's first commandment was, you will have no other gods before me. How are we doing, United States? How are we doing, world? How are we doing? The truth is Christ is alive, but what difference is it making for so many of us? Have no other gods before me. I mean, that's really heavy stuff, right? I read something really cool from my favorite author. Uh, he's a Quaker professor in Kansas, um, but not not Barclay. He's the other one, Friends University. You've heard of that one, right? All right, James Brian Smith. Have you heard James Brian Smith speak? I have. Just saying. <laughs> James Brian Smith. He's some wonderful, wonderful books. I miss you, Jacob. I just don't get to tease you. The last, you've been gone three whole weeks. James Brian Smith uh, wrote a book called. There's a series of them, but one of them is called uh, The Magnificent Journey. Listen to what he wrote. Remember, I said that you're made to be in submission. Do you like the word submission, by the way? (laughs) We're made to be in submission. The famous dog whisperer, Caesar Milan, have you heard of that guy? Demonstrates that a dog is wired to be under the authority of its owners, and that nearly all bad behavior in dogs comes from the dog being in authority. (laughs) Do some of you have dogs in authority at your house? (laughs) In one episode of Milan's TV show, Dog Whisperer, a little Chihuahua named Nunu is ruining his owner's life. The dog thinks he owns the bed, the couch, and his owner. Caesar comes in and the guy's amazing. You've seen him, right? He comes in and he takes authority over the dog by walking it on a leash. He brings what he calls calm, assertive energy and the dog responds well. Caesar then teaches his owners to do the same within 20 minutes. Nunu is calm and does not bark or bite or claim territory. It really is fascinating to watch if you've never seen the dog whisperer. And this is what James Bryan Smith writes about that the dog instinctively knows that it is not the pack leader. But when it thinks it is, the dog will misbehave. When the dog is under the authority of its owner, it becomes calm. I think that's such a beautiful illustration of the truth about us. I think we instinctively know that we are not the pack leader. And when we seize those reins, when when we make our own decisions that are in rebellion to God's will, we know. We just sang a song about everyone can come to the cross. And there was a wonderful celebration on the drums at the end. That's why I said it's okay to clap. Because it's such good news to us. Peter had denied Jesus to his face three times after swearing he'd never do that. But Jesus came back later on. Do you read about it elsewhere? He came back and he reinstates Peter to ministry and he becomes an incredible leader of the church, doesn't he? And that song said, it doesn't matter what you've done. There's room for all of us at the cross. And I know that that is true. It isn't about what we did yesterday. It isn't about what we did last week or last year or last decade. Heaven knows there's a lot of things that we all wish we could change in our past. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him I want to lead us in a prayer of submission and I'll unapologetically say that's what it is yes it's a prayer of receiving grace God help me I don't deserve your kindness it is a it is a prayer of receiving grace but it's also a prayer of submission would you pray with me If this prayer reflects the need and desire of your own heart, I invite you to join silently with me. Jesus Christ, I know that I'm made for submission. Do you believe it? I know in my heart of hearts and my mind of minds that I am not the right boss for myself. You said to have no other God's before you. Thankfully, you also provided the cross for forgiveness. Jesus, I know I have chosen to live my life in ways that were completely at odds with your leadership. I've heard it said that you came into this world to love me, not to condemn me, but to rescue me. And Jesus, how I need your calm voice of authority and grace in my life. As much as I understand, Lord, I do choose to put you first. I choose to accept your forgiveness and the cross. I pray that you would teach me what it means practically in my daily life to change my direction. I thank you so much your patience with me when you've walked alongside me and I have ignored you not understood not recognized not followed Jesus with as much as I understand I commit myself now to follow you to live for your purposes to live for your plan over me teach me what it means to live in resurrection change and life I so want who you are and what you promised to bring in jesus precious name i pray amen if there's anyone here who has invited christ to be the lord of their life for the first time i want to invite you to courageously tell a friend that you look up to as a christian because i know they would love to talk to you about it am i wrong are there some christians around here who would agree love to talk to you about it and help you with first steps um, boy if you're really lonely and don't have somebody to talk to you could tell me truth is I'd love to walk with you uh, in this journey as well. Just stand with us together. We have a closing song and we want to rejoice in the change that Jesus brings us.